Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Starting January 11th, the Fall Line podcast begins a three-part series covering the cold case of Chado Garibay. Her mother Magdalena, her sister Marisol, her brother Juni, her cousins and friends believe that Chado was killed by someone that she knew. They think that the answer to her cold case lies at home with the people Chido saw in daily life, a killer in plain sight. Join them in our coverage of Chido's case to hear what they and investigators hope can be done today. Find the fall line anywhere you listen. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, they say that there is no greater love than the love a parent has for their child. There are few parents in this world that would not lay down their own life for their child. That's the role that a parent takes on when they welcome their child into this world. But what happens when these roles are reversed? What happens when the protector becomes the protected? Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Nina Instead, and welcome to Episode 54 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law & Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. It was a blustery night in Detroit, Michigan, December 1st, 2007, with temperatures dipping below zero. Aisha Ford was home alone watching television when her phone began to ring shortly before midnight. She picked it up and was greeted by her friend of 15 years, 30-year-old Salitha Parker. Salitha and her 7-year-old daughter, Alexis Goggins, lived over on Dwyer Street on the city's east side, and their furnace had stopped working. Ice was just beginning to settle on the ground, and Salitha and Alexis were struggling to stay warm, no matter how many blankets they wrapped around themselves. Salitha asked if she and Alexis could come and stay the night with Aisha in the warmth of her house. Of course, Aisha said yes. She told Salitha that she would come and pick them up promptly. As soon as Aisha hung up the phone, she grabbed the keys for her 1998 Ford Expedition and drove the short distance to Salitha and Alexis's home. She pulled up outside and watched as the pair carefully walked over toward her SUV, trying to avoid any ice. As Aisha glanced toward their home in the background, she observed a man standing on the porch. She assumed that he was a furnace repairman, there to fix their heating so they could return home the next morning. Before Salitha and Alexis reached the car, Alexis slipped on the icy sidewalk. As she stabilized herself and found her footing, Aisha found herself once again staring at the man on the porch. 
Seconds later, she realized that the man wasn't a furnace repairman at all, but instead, Salitha's ex-boyfriend, Calvin Tilly. As Aisha's eyes became accustomed to the dark, she noticed that Tilly was holding a gun. Before Salitha and Alexis made it to the safety of Aisha's car, Tilly came up behind them and ordered them into the SUV. Unafraid, Aisha glared intently at Tilly and shouted, You're not going with me. A flash of rage came across Tilly's face as he swiftly raised the gun and pointed it directly at Aisha. Before she could respond, he pushed Salitha and Alexis into the SUV and climbed in after them, clutching tightly to the weapon. Tilly then ordered Aisha to drive them to Six Mile Road, to a rundown area in the city peppered with wasteland. Aisha later recalled, He looked like he was enraged and didn't care what he did. I knew if we went to Six Mile, he would kill us. Thinking quickly, Aisha told Tilly that if he wanted to make it to Six Mile Road, she would first of all need to stop at a gas station as she was low on gas. Tilly agreed, and Aisha drove off toward the fast stop gas station in the 5,000 block of East Seven Mile Road. It was a gas station that required customers to purchase their gas from inside the station as opposed to at the pump. Aisha remembered, I figured if he got out to pump the gas, I was going to take off. Aisha slowly pulled up alongside the gas pump, expecting Tilly to get out. Instead, he handed her $10 and ordered her to put $5 worth of gas in the car. As she exited the car, Tilly climbed onto the front driver's seat. Salitha was sitting in the passenger seat while Alexis was in the back. Aisha began slowly walking toward the gas station. She suddenly remembered that she had her cell phone tucked in her pocket. As she walked, she carefully removed her cell phone and typed in 911. Emergency 911, where's the problem? Okay, look, I just picked up my friend from her house. Her boyfriend walked up on her when I was getting her from my house. He's in my truck demanding me to go somewhere, and he has a gun. I'm right here on the state, um, gas station on 7 Mile. 7 Mile of what, man? What, what street is that? You know what street is that? 7 Mile of what? 7 Mile. 7 Mile, 7 Mile, right now, please. Okay, what's the name of the gas station? What's the name of the gas station? Fast stop. Who? Fast stop. Fast stop. And what kind of truck are you in? I'm in a burden expedition. Are you dry? Are you, ma'am? I have to get the information. I'm making a request as we speak. Let me get the information from you. Mm-hmm. You're in a burgundy expedition. Are you moving right now? No, I'm about to actually get some gas. I just took that out in my truck right okay, now. Okay, so where is he at? He's in my truck. Did, I can't hear. Yes. Did he force his way into the truck or what? Yes, he did. He was not, He got a gun and a child is in my car. Okay, was he threatening anybody with the gun? Yes, he did. He told me if I want my friend to leave, I better do what he want me to do. Make a request to East 7 Mile and Finn Line in Burgundy Expedition, ma'am. Please hurry, please. I'm making a request, now. When the 911 operator answered, Aisha exclaimed that she, her friend, and her friend's daughter were being held hostage by a man armed with a gun. She provided the name of the gas station and asked that police be sent immediately. Her heart sank when the 911 operator informed her that there was no unit available to send and that she would have to wait. 
After hanging up, Aisha paid for $5 worth of gas and reluctantly returned to the courtyard where Tilly was waiting. She handed over the change and began to pump the gas. She was biding her time, stopping and starting the pump, hoping that police would come blazing around the corner at any second. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And when the car was filled with gas, Aisha needed to think of another procrastination tactic. Aisha recalled, I told him I needed more gas and took money out of my own purse and went back into the station. She once again entered the gas station and approached the attendant on duty that night behind the counter, Mohammed Al-Ghazali. By now, Aisha was petrified. Time was slipping away and there was no sign of police. Mohammed could detect the fear in her eyes and asked whether she was okay. Aisha blurted out that she, Salitha, and Alexis were being held hostage just outside in the courtyard. As she explained the situation to Mohammed, she covertly called 911 again. She sobbed to the operator, What is taking so long? Hello? Hello, I yeah. just called 911. I have a guy that threatened my friend with a gun inside my truck. I picked her up because she don't have no heat for her and her daughter to stay in my house. Her boyfriend sneaks up on the side of the house with a gun, forces me. So I said, I need gas. I'm at the gas station. This is my second time calling y'all. What is taking y'all so long? They don't have a car available, ma'am. A car? Somebody left. Left at once again, the 911 operator told her that nobody was available to respond to the call just yet and that Aisha would have to wait. She was exasperated and handed the cell phone to Muhammad. Calm down and give me the address. Hello. She didn't give me the address. 5041 S7 Mile Fast gas station. No, I need the address that she gave. No, the guy she said in a car with her right now in the gas station. Is in a car. I need the address she gave the first time she called. I don't know. Look, she'd be arguing right now outside the All car. All right. Tell she her. Police, I don't know. Tell she, her she's going to need to call back and give me the ad and give us the address that she first gave. I can't even check on it. Actually, she says she got a baby in the car and a man with a gun in the car, too. Outside. She'd be arguing right now. I see him right outside, but I didn't see no yet. She didn't say it was a man in the car with a gun. Um, Pardon? Your question is 5041 and 7 mile fast by the gas station. Because right now she got a burgundy uh, truck. She what? She have a burgundy truck right now. Outside in the SUV, Tilly was becoming suspicious of how long Aisha was taking inside the gas station. With each second that passed, his rage was building. Salitha pleaded with Tilly to calm down trying her hardest to reassure him that Aisha would be back momentarily and that she was just paying for more gas. Nothing she said could defuse the situation, and as Salifa cowered in the passenger seat, Tilly lifted up the gun and pointed it in her direction. He then quickly squeezed the trigger, sending hot lead into the side of her head. He squeezed the trigger again and a second bullet grazed her bicep. Warm blood began to ooze down Salitha's face, but thinking quick, she lunged toward Tilly and attempted to grab the weapon from his hands. She later recalled, I was fighting, I was swinging, and I was screaming. Before he got the chance to pull the trigger and shoot her again, Alexis launched herself from the back seat into the front seat, 
directly between her mother and Tilly. She screamed, Don't hurt my mother! But her pleas fell upon deaf ears, and without hesitation, Tilly pointed the gun directly at Alexis and opened fire, shooting again and again and again. Back inside the gas station, Aisha and Mohammed watched on in horror as the gunshot blasts emanated throughout the courtyard. By now, Mohammed was on the phone with 911, revealing the hostage situation to the operator, much like Aisha had already done twice. Look, no, he's shooting. He's shooting right now. I hate the gun. Okay. Oh, shit, he shoot the lady, too. He, got a, he shot off. I'm requesting the police and EMS, sir. The police? Oh, shit. Come on. Hello? Hello? I'm requesting them, sir. Police, he's shooting. I see the gun right now, man. He's shooting. I see him when he's shooting. Is she shot? Yeah, he shot three times. Is she shot? Yes, he shot. No, she, I don't know. She's inside. All right, now. thank you. Thanks. Seconds after the shooting, police pulled up outside the gas station. Salitha bolted from the SUV, saturated in blood and screaming, He just shot my baby! She was closely followed by Tilly, who held up a blue steel 9mm semi-automatic. The officers drew their weapons and ordered Tilly to drop the gun. He chucked it to the ground and then lay down with his hands behind him. As one of the officers handcuffed him, the other rushed to the SUV and peered inside. Alexis was huddled on the floor underneath the steering wheel. It took the officer just a matter of seconds to take in the scene before him. Alexis was bleeding heavily from a number of gunshot wounds. Scattered alongside her, he observed spent cartridge casings as well as some small, bloody teeth. Bullet holes peppered the windshield, and blood was spattered across the front seats. The officer carefully carried Alexis from the SUV, trying not to do any more damage to the young girl. By now, paramedics had arrived on scene. Alexis was transferred onto a stretcher and placed in the back of the ambulance, which sped off in the direction of Children's Hospital in Detroit. Alexis Goggins did not have the easiest start in life. As an infant, she suffered a massive stroke resulting in epilepsy, a weak left eye, and an imbalance when she walked. Nevertheless, Alexis never let her ailments define her. She exceeded all expectations when she started the first grade at Campbell Elementary School, where she received special education services. Doctors had predicted that as Alexis got older, she would struggle with various tasks, such as writing. Their predictions couldn't have been more wrong. Within months of starting the first grade, Alexis's handwriting had transformed from illegible lines to distinct letters. When she wasn't working hard in school, she liked to fill her time by playing with her dolls. In particular, she liked to hold tea parties for all of her favorite dolls. She had come from a tight-knit family filled with aunts, uncles, and cousins. Alexis truly doted on each member of her family and loved when they came to visit. She especially loved spending time with her cousins, curled up in front of the television with a blanket to watch Disney shows. Her favorites were That's So Raven or Hannah Montana, 
Alexis could spend hours watching YouTube videos of Disney's Cheetah Girls. But she also loved to help her mother around the house, completing task after task before asking for more. In early 2007, Salitha met Calvin Tilly, a man with a long criminal record, including charges of home invasion and assault with a dangerous weapon. After three months, Salitha called off the relationship, but Tilly refused to accept that the relationship was over. He began to incessantly call Salitha and show up at her home in the middle of the night. He wasn't going to let her get away that easily. At the hospital, it was discovered that Alexis Goggins had sustained six gunshot wounds, including wounds to her eye, left temple, chin, cheek, chest, and right arm. She had been shot at close range, leaving her arm completely shattered and her eye unsavable. A large portion of her skull was destroyed by one of the gunshots. As for Salitha, she had sustained a gunshot wound to the left side of her head and her bicep. Thankfully, the gunshot wound to her head was superficial and had only grazed the surface. Salitha was treated for the injuries and released several hours later, but Alexis was reported to be in critical condition. Her loved ones all rallied around her as she slipped in and out of consciousness. Salitha sat by her daughter's bedside and stroked her hair and face, telling her that everything was going to be okay. After a couple of days in intensive care, Alexis finally stirred. She tightly squeezed her mother's hand, and at that moment, Salitha knew that her daughter was going to make it. When Alexis was stable enough, she was taken in for surgery on her right eye, right arm, and jaw. Doctors inserted pins into her arm, removed her right eye, and then wired her jaw shut. She emerged from surgery that night sedated and bandaged, but within a couple of days, she was conscious. Her cousin, Tanya Colbert, said to the Detroit News, Everything turned out good. She's amazing. She's still fighting, and she's still pulling through. As Alexis slept off the surgeries and lulled in a state of disorientation, many people came to see her in the hospital, including members of the Detroit Pistons. Marvin Bodley, a Detroit Public Schools attendance agent, paid her a visit and commented in the media, What a courageous, courageous little girl. You see more bandages than child. It's a horrific sight. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Calvin Tilly was arraigned on two counts of assault with intent to commit murder, three counts of felonious assault, three counts of false imprisonment, and single counts of being a felon in possession of a firearm, being a habitual offender third offense, and using a firearm to commit a felony. His defense attorney, Kim Basin Michon, requested that her client receive a competency hearing before a preliminary hearing could be held. In making the request, she stated, I don't think, and his family don't think, he can assist in his defense. The judge approved the request and scheduled the competency hearing for February. As details of the shooting made headlines in Detroit, Alexis was naturally hailed as a hero. She had put herself in front of a gunman to protect her own mother. An outpouring of support came in from not only the community of Detroit, but from further afield as well. Alexis's cousin, Tanya, said, It is just amazing how the community has embraced us as a family and how much love they have shown for Alexis. We are just very thankful. The community really bounded together and wanted to do something to try and make Alexis's recovery that little bit easier. While her injuries would heal, she would be left with physical and emotional scars that would last a lifetime. A benefit fund was set up through Comerica Bank by Campbell Elementary School, where Alexis was a student. In the aftermath of the shooting, the school had been flooded with phone calls from people all across the nation, people who wanted to help Alexis and her family in any way possible during such a difficult time. Marvin Bodley, the Detroit Public Schools attendance agent, commented, We have had quite a few people who were themselves carjacked crying on the phone because they can relate to what they went through. We've had a couple of local businesses who called to help. Over at the school, all of Alexis's classmates were all thinking about her, and they named a stuffed toy with pink ears Hero in her honor. It stood as a beacon of hope that Alexis would make a full recovery and be back in school in no time. Her teacher, Angela Lang, said, We didn't want her spot to be vacant, so she's got a sweet bear to sit in her place until she comes back. In addition to money, people offered assistance to Alexis in other ways. A company in Warren that made artificial eyes offered to donate one to Alexis, and her family gladly accepted the offer. Her tale of heroism dominated the headlines. As she was recovering in the hospital, Salifa spoke with the Associated Press about their terrifying ordeal and the bravery of her daughter. She said, She was trying to save me. My baby is just an angel to her mother. I thought, as the mother, I'd be saving my child. I never thought my daughter would be saving me. Christmas was fast approaching. By December 22nd, typically it was a massive family celebration, but Alexis was still holed up in the hospital. Officers from the Detroit Police Department did everything in their power to ensure Alexis would have a Christmas she would remember, and not for the wrong reasons. 
They raised more than $800 and brought it along to the Children's Hospital of Michigan and presented it to Alexis. As Alexis was still recovering, questions were raised regarding the reaction of the police. Aisha had said that the 911 operator told her there was nobody available to respond to the scene. A city spokesman denied that there was any delay in the time it took to send police to the scene. But a review showed there was a four-minute gap between the first phone call and when an officer was finally dispatched. Many wondered whether the outcome would have been any different if police had been dispatched to the gas station as soon as that first 911 call was received. The city subsequently launched an internal investigation, but not into the length of time it took to dispatch a police officer to the gas station, but instead into the handling of the phone call by the second 911 operator. While the second operator had also told Aisha that no police officers were available to respond, a patrol vehicle had, in fact, already been dispatched and was already en route. Finally, in February, Alexis was well enough to be released from the hospital. In total, she had undergone six surgeries to repair brain damage and reconstructed her shattered arm. Her scars, including one the entire way across her head, stood as somber reminders of the night that almost claimed her life and that of her mother. Upon her release, Alexis moved in with her mother at her grandfather's home in Detroit, but her recovery was far from over. Alexis still needed months of physical therapy to aid in her recovery. But still, Alexis was now past the worst of it, and two times a week, she rode through the hospital in a special tricycle to assist in her physical therapy. The tricycle was part of her rehabilitation. It needed to be pedaled with Alexis's hands as opposed to her feet, and she took it in her stride to figure out the mechanisms. Part of her rehabilitation included hand-eye coordination games, and she enjoyed these the most. Since Alexis had suffered a stroke as an infant, she already struggled with walking, and the shooting only exacerbated her health problems. To improve her mobility, she needed to regain strength on the right side of her body. She also needed to relearn how to dress herself and develop better hand-eye coordination, but Alexis was determined. Salitha spoke about Alexis's rehabilitation and her recollection of the events to the Associated Press. She stated, She knows a little bit about what happened, but she won't talk about it right now. When I try to bring it up, she starts to cry or will shut down and ask, Ma, can I watch TV? Or can I go to sleep? It's not something I want to push. I'm just happy to have my baby with me. While Alexis was still unconscious in the hospital, Salitha had an intense fear that if Alexis survived the shooting, she would be left a shell of her former self, a little girl plagued by the trauma of what happened. Remarkably, however, Alexis had the same great spirit that she had beforehand. Salitha said, The sessions are going really well. I'm so proud of her, but I do worry about the future and hope she doesn't have any complications. In April of 2008, District Judge Jimmy Lee Gray ruled that Calvin Tilly was mentally competent and that he could understand the proceedings against him and assist in his own defense. The following month, a preliminary hearing was scheduled to determine whether there was enough evidence against Tilly for him to stand trial. 
His defense attorney argued that no evidence existed to show that his client intended to hurt Alexis. He suggested that his intention was only to shoot her mother. Judge Donna Robinson Milhouse ultimately bound Tilly over for trial in Wayne County Circuit Court on charges of first-degree child abuse, assault with intent to murder, hostage-taking, assault with a dangerous weapon, and being a felon in possession of a handgun. Since Tilly was charged as a four-time felony offender, if he were convicted, then he would be facing a sentence of up to life in prison. There was a lot of legal wrangling over the next couple of months before August 28th, when Tilly appeared in court and pleaded guilty to assault with intent to murder and taking a hostage. It was part of a plea bargain in which he avoided a sentence of life in prison without parole and had a handful of his charges dropped. This meant that Alexis would not need to face Tilly in court, where it had been expected that she would testify against him. The sentencing phase was scheduled for the next month, but Tilly would not receive a sentence of life in prison. Due to the plea bargain, he would be facing a much shorter sentence. Salitha was not satisfied with the range. She commented, I was expecting him to get life for trying to take two lives. I would have thought he'd get no chance at parole, but we will have to live with it like everything else he did. He's a monster. She briefly spoke in the media about her daughter, telling reporters, She's doing fine, wonderful in fact, better than I ever thought. She's the same wonderful little girl. It was a dreary morning on September 11th, and the weather outside the courtroom only matched the mood inside. Salitha and all of her loved ones shuffled into the courtroom. It was the first time they had physically seen Calvin Tilly since the night of the shooting. Alexis was notably absent. Her mother decided it would be best for her to steer clear of the courtroom. She feared the court proceeding could bring back traumatic memories, and Alexis was moving on past the harrowing ordeal. She had recently just begun the second grade, and she was thriving. The courtroom fell silent as defense attorney William Winters said, They took a hard line with him, but Mr. Tilly accepted the plea and accepted responsibility. I know that he is remorseful. He is very upset about what happened in the car. He certainly never intended to harm an innocent child. Tilly sat at the defense table nearby, handcuffed and with a look of defiance on his face. As the proceedings began, he abruptly stood up and yelled, I'm ready to go back to the bullpen. I done spoke my mind and my peace. I don't have nothing more to say. Take me back now. Now. It was only a small demonstration of rage, but it highlighted to the courtroom Tilly's true character, a character that had seen him web and weave his way through the justice system in the form of violent crimes for the past 15 years. According to Tilly's defense attorney, he was angry with the plea agreement. He believed that further motions should have been filed and demanded that specific evidence should have been suppressed and that he should have been able to complain about, quote, defamation of character. He went on to claim that Tilly had expressed remorse before the sentencing for shooting Alexis, but then said that he had no explanation for why he took the hostages and why he began shooting. Tilly was removed from the courtroom, and Judge David J. Allen issued a rare sentence in absentia. He stated, 
he has proven himself as someone who shouldn't be walking among us. The judge then ordered Tilly to serve 25 years to 60 years in prison. He said that after those 25 years are up, he would personally visit the parole board to argue that Tilly should remain behind bars. Prosecutor Michael Woodyard then spoke of Tilly's character, telling the courtroom, I've seen a lot of evil in this building, perhaps a hundred lifetimes of it, but this one certainly takes the cake. The court has heard from Mr. Tilly's own mouth that he doesn't have anything to say. He's not here, and the court has no responsibility to search for the motives behind his behavior. Shortly after the sentence was imposed on Tilly, Alexis became the first recipient of the Alexis Goggins Everyday Hero Award. She was presented with the award by Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy at a session of the Prosecutor's Citizens Academy at Greater Grace Temple City in Detroit. In announcing that Alexis was the first recipient, Maria Miller, a spokeswoman for Prosecutor Worthy said, Alexis is well-deserving of this honor. Her spirit and tenacity are an inspiration to us all. It was decided that the esteemed award would be handed out annually to a brave resident from Wayne County. In an interview with ABC News, Alexis told the reporter that she didn't consider herself a hero. She said that she simply loved her mother and did not want to see her get harmed. Today, Alexis is a thriving young woman. In 2019, she graduated from high school with flying colors, something that doctors said she would never do. After her graduation, she took on a new role working at Services to Enhance Potential, a nonprofit organization that provides support and services to people with disabilities in Wayne and Macomb counties. This episode was researched and written by Emily G. Thompson. Editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman. Script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. We will be back next week. I appreciate you listening, and please be safe. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.